It is good to be with you and to be uh, here in this capacity offering what we hope will be God's perspective on a very important issue many of us deal with regularly, and we're asking for His instruction, His wisdom about that issue. That's been the nature of this whole series. The Instructable series has been designed to ask God, what's the wisdom you have about the issues I face? And He has a lot. He's very generous in offering His wisdom. In fact, He simply says, ask, and I have wisdom for you. So we've walked through several, and today is another, as Dan mentioned, the last installment in that series. You know, the last time I was before you all, it was out in the atrium. We were celebrating Good Friday together, and I was speaking on a good death. Typically, those two words don't go together. But we were looking at the death of Jesus and its impact on us and all the world, and it was the good death. Previous to that, I was before you talking about anger. Do you see a pattern here? (laughs) Anger, death, and today is fighting. (laughs) I don't know if this has been intentional, but I'm wondering, and you might be too, um, regardless of the subject, fortunately, we're able to look to God and ask Him to give us His perspective about these things, and then give us the desire and the power to embrace them and to act in them. And that's the challenge. What the wisdom literature tells us is that God is showing us His way, and our question is, what choice will I make in following His way or just staying with my way? It was June of 1997, and a fight was scheduled in Nevada. In fact, it was a fight that followed a previous defeat. Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson had met previously, and in a decision bout out of the eighth round, Holyfield was awarded heavyweight championship. If you follow boxing at all, this may be a fresh memory for you, or at least one fresh enough uh, to recall. But here we are in 97, and a refight has been scheduled, and it's underway. This was framed as the strong, excuse me, the sound and the fury. The sound and the fury. That was the name of this particular matchup. Now, you may recall that as the matchup began, it was evident that Evander Holyfield was winning the day. And by the time they finished the second round, there's been a headbutt incident where Holyfield headbutts Tyson, considered accidental by the referee, which was an issue in the previous fight eight months ago. But it bloodied, broke open and bloodied Tyson's eye. He was really upset about this. In fact, it was an obvious distraction to him from a boxing standpoint. He comes out in the third round and he is lit up and he's going after it with everything in his arsenal. And yet in the midst of that, when it's not quite winning the day as he wishes, he chooses to bite the ear of Evander Holyfield. In case you're not familiar, this is not an acceptable boxing technique. (laughs) You're supposed to eat before you fight and come ready to go. But in this case, he bit his ear and he bit off about an inch chunk of his ear. Holyfield backs out, he goes to his corner, they get it straightened out, the referee has to figure out what to do with this. 
And they determined that uh, they're going to award penalty points and resume the third round. And so they do. And in the midst of that third round, before it's finished, Tyson bites his other ear. Now, you would have thought this was like a barnyard fight or something. You know, that's, this just doesn't, doesn't fit. Here you have this talented and capable fighter who's now fighting dirty to overcome what he can't overcome fairly. And it ended really poorly. Holyfield is once again awarded uh, the championship. Tyson is disqualified and delicensed, unable to box for almost a year. Uh, never was the same after. It's a fascinating scenario, one we might be able to identify because when we think of fighting, it may be that the boxing arena or that MMA or that WWF, or, it's one of those environments is where our mind goes to, hockey. You know. <laughs> Doesn't it seem as though fighting has spread into many other sports arenas? Yeah, it has, but you know, that's probably not where it most directly affects you and me. It's when it's in our homes. It's in our most important relationships, family, friends, neighbors, when it's in our schools, when it's with those we'd really like to have a relationship with, but we haven't figured out how to resolve the differences. We get ourselves set up, and then we find ourselves, if it's not physically fighting, we find ourselves contending with each other in ways that divide us and break us up. This isn't simply a marriage conversation. This is a conversation about what goes on in our everyday life in many, many settings. And the fighting that rises up in us, it gets generated with feelings and attitudes and grudges and offenses, with hostilities and other adversity. And then it gets expressed with hurtful words and actions, with separation and, and gossip, with slander and blame and fault-finding and bitterness. That's the kind of fighting all of us are familiar with. We can recount these things as a part of our own uh, personal experience. Fair enough? In most of the fights we've had, we've not had a referee who can both keep order, assign scores, and settle disputes. We, we haven't had that. And so as we look at today's question, why is it we're talking about this today? It's because we're asking God for His instruction. We're asking Him for His wisdom about fighting fair. Because fighting dirty only increases the brokenness we already have in our life. It cannot heal. It divides us instead of heals us. It amplifies the worst of us instead of engaging God's best for us. So we're going to look at the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And ask God, what is your perspective about this? Give us wisdom, instruct us, and help us to choose the better way. We're going to go to a book in the New Testament first, and Galatians is this letter. It's a small letter, and there's this pack full of wisdom contribution from this letter, and we're going to look at this. In the disputes they were having there among themselves in Galatia, they're written this by God, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one commandment. So if you want to fight for something, he says, fight for this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out because you will end up destroying each other. Now, he just offers that phrase out there, if you bite and devour each other, like they knew what he was talking about. It didn't bear a whole lot of explanation. And he's simply describing that when you put your words into play to fight with one another, and that's the choice you make in contrast to pursuing a resolution with each other, when you put your words into play to fight with one another, to extend the quarrel, to build the narrative, to make your win dirty though it may be, you will devour one another. You'll end up destroying each other. That's what he's offering us. Tyson is not the only biter. You and I can see each other in our mirror, recognizing that we can opt for these same practices. James tells us this in James 4. He asks a question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, your desires, that, that, that battle within you, these unsettled wants? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. He goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask God. So the notion is that if I'm going to have it, I've got to get it. And if I've got to get it from you, or if I've got to get it through you, I'm going to fight for it because it's what I want. Even if we think to ask God for what we want, he goes on to say, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures or your own self-interests. This really isn't for good, it is just simply for me. He says, in that case, I won't receive what I've asked for. And rarely do I receive what I fight for, when that's my primary driver. We can all identify with fighting dirty, can't we? In fighting dirty, we recognize it's our natural inclination. Nobody needed to teach us. As we've experienced our own children and now in a season with grandchildren, I think maybe our youngest grandchildren were taught dirty fighting by their older siblings. I think maybe. But there weren't any classes in this. Nobody sat down and said, this is how you do dirty. It's just there. And to recognize it's there and to recognize that independent of a change in us, this is what's going to come out. We know how to sucker punch each other, catch each other by surprise and, and deliver a blow we believe will make the difference. We know how to blindside somebody when they're not looking and offer up something we believe will win the day. We can attack a person's most vulnerable area. This is described as hitting below the belt. Because if we render a blow there, they're out of the fight, and I've won. We know how to do these things. We know how to make mountains out of molehills. Nobody had to teach us this. Because what's in play is what the Scriptures have said. It's my own self-interest. It's my own self-preservation. It's my own desires and pleasures. That's what's in play. We have been shown a better way. But the question is still there. Why do we fight and quarrel and we seek others' hurt and defeat? It's because we're naturally self-centered. 
We're full of selfish driven pursuits. We have expectations and they go unmet and we fight. We have fears and doubts that amplify our sense of being shorted and used and exploited and maligned and assaulted. But fortunately, we don't have to keep trying to resolve those with dirty fighting. We, we have another way. So let's take a moment and just consider the heart of the matter when it comes to this issue of fighting fair. At the heart of the matter, I wish this is how I could enter into my fights with a whole heart. But the truth is none of us do. We enter into our fights with a broken heart. And this isn't like two parts of a friendship heart. You know how you can wear the necklace and you wear your knee? That's not what this is. There's no affection in this heart. It's broken, it's damaged, it's trying to find its way to wholeness, but it's broken. And so when I consider the heart of the matter of fighting fair, let's take a moment and just have some fun with the word as we think about what's at the heart of our fight. Look in the middle of the word, we have the word ear. We have the word ear. Have you noticed that before? Have you noticed God's given us two? Two ears. Obviously, Tyson recognized that. He took bold advantage of that, foolishly, but, but he did. God's given us two ears so that we can hear what's going on. And then because of our relationship with God, we know that He is in the midst of our heart. Like He's at work bringing us good and inviting us into better and better places because what He has to offer enables what I'm hearing to make more sense. And then another part of the word, this last part, is the word art. I'd like to suggest it takes a bit of art to apply the wisdom and instruction that God's giving us into everyday life. And we're looking at various instructions and we'll see them as they're stated, but just seeing the statement is not enough to know what to do with it if I'm going to apply my whole heart to fighting fair. One other thing I want you to see as you look at the heart. Imagine here is the word me. When we get in a conflict or a fight, I'm in it, me. And you are in it. So me here and you there. Then there's an issue that's going on. I'm dialed in about some issue of something. And then there's God. So you're going to have these four parts of our heart, me, you, the issue itself, and God. And I want you to keep, in mind, keep that in mind as we walk our way forward. God in His great kindness toward us and His grace has offered us not only instruction about how to fight fair, but He's offered us an instructor. He's given us wisdom about this, and He's given us Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been given to live in us. So we have both his teaching and his instruction, and we have the power of the instructor in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's at work in the midst of my broken heart and your broken heart. Thank goodness. So let's track with some of his specific instructions about fighting fair. 
The first instruction is to listen first and listen most. To listen first and listen most. Here are a couple of scriptures that help dial this in for us. In Proverbs 18, he says this, to answer before listening, this is folly and shame. It's foolish. To begin to answer a matter, engage a matter, take a hold of it, fight about it, before I've actually listened, it's foolish and is shameful. Here's how the message translation puts it a little bit more abruptly and directly. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. I know, if young kids are listening to this, stupid's not a good word in the house, so you can't use this. But you know what that is, and you, you've felt that before. You've kind of gotten way out of the gate on something, and you realize, oh, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I should have listened first, and probably listened most. In James 1, again, our New Testament source of wisdom, if you will, James says this, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When you hear righteousness, hear the goodness of God, hear the very best God has to offer. It doesn't accomplish God's very best. Now, you know that when this phrase, slow to speak, is offered, it doesn't mean talk slowly. That's not what that means, right? It means pause. Before you talk, pause. Which is really hard. We recognize again that God's made us with two ears and one mouth. But our mouths just can so quickly run away with us. They could be way down the track and we forgot what race we're running. And then we try to frame it up and make it good and, and make sense of it. And it often starts in our head, right? We begin a conversation in our head, and the words are flowing, and the ideas are flowing, the arguments are flowing, the rationales are flowing, and then our heart takes a hold of it and goes, yes, that's right. And then we start using our words. In contrast to stepping back and slowly engaging in what's happening, asking questions, and listening. So here's what I'd like to offer you. I think this is from God. Practical ways to listen first and listen most. First, ask questions. Just ask questions. Now maybe as I say that to you, you're wired in such a way that the thought of asking questions is like gravel in your mouth. Like, oh, a question? Find somebody who loves to ask questions and have them help you. You can actually learn to ask questions. And at the core of asking good questions is you care about understanding. You care about listening. But ask questions. Secondly, express back what you believe you're hearing and seeing. Put into words what you think you're hearing and seeing. Thirdly, invite further exploration of what's going on. Further exploration of the other person and of the issue itself. Invite further exploration. And then fourth, stay in the fight. Stay committed to the very best outcome. Judy and I... Uh, 
especially in our younger years of marriage and early parenting, uh, we're learning how to fight well with each other. And initially, we didn't do so great at that. When we'd end up at odds with one another, uh, we would be inclined to kind of go to our corners. You know, any of you do that? You kind of separate, you hold on to, you know, you're, you're having the conversation here. I'm sure she's having her conversation here. We came to recognize that one of the things we could do to listen to each other well was write each other a letter. To just write a letter. What's going on with me? What do I think is going on with you? What could we do differently to get from where we are to a better place? So we'd write a letter. That slowed us down. It forced us to find words that would be beneficial or helpful at disclosure as well as discovery of each other. And then we had to read each other's letters. No commentary, no, just read each other's letters. And then we had to go for a walk. We had some really memorable walks. I mean, just really memorable walks. Some of them began with a lengthy period of silence. Because we were still sorting out what we'd been listening to through our letter writing and our letter reading. But it was really helpful for us. It helped us frame up some additional questions to ask each other. It helped us know how to express back what we believed was going on. It helped us process what was going on in our hearts. Yeah. I don't know if that'll help you, but I think one of God's first instructions, as we've already read, is to listen, 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 and listen some more there'll almost always be plenty of time to talk. Almost always. It's the choice to take the time to listen and then to qualify what I'm hearing by asking. One of the steps wisdom encourages us to take. Secondly, love genuinely. Love genuinely. And this gets exercised through the various Proverbs. Let's take a look at what God offers us in his wisdom literature. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. He's telling us, if we're going to engage in this way with each other, choose to foster love. Now, covering the offense doesn't mean I ignore that it's happened or that I brush it aside or off under the rug. No, that's not what that means. It simply means I'm aware of something bigger than what seems to be going on in this moment. And I'm choosing to love, which will lead us to an understanding, and likely, even if it's a very challenging conversation, a better outcome. Another scripture here in Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Getting with those with whom I can practice loving genuinely is really important. And a friend positions themselves to love at all times. Proverbs 11, whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to one who searches for it. An indication of my own personal motives and my own personal drives, where I'm going and looking, what I'm looking for sets me up for what I'll find. If I'm looking for love and I'm after that, I'm likely to find it and experience it. 
You know, what the good news of God tells me is that God himself has chosen to reach into my space and your space and love us genuinely. He's met us right where we are. He's met us right in the midst of our stuff. And he's loved us genuinely. He took upon himself things that only he could deal with so that he could ultimately break through the barrier that stands between him and us, between us and him, and invite us into a rich and right relationship with him, the kind of relationship that can receive wisdom and have the power to do something with it, that kind of relationship. This is really good news. Here's some scripture that tells us how he did this. It tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, we were still in rebellion to God, he died for us. He came and actually conquered the very thing that kept us at odds with him. While we were still at odds with him, he took this action. For if while we were God's enemies, hostile toward him, at odds with him, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's literally given us his life to live this out well. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, he's come and basically taken on the fight for us to defeat that which causes us to fight. And we can celebrate this because of the life he's given us. I want us to hear God's invitation today to fight fair and to embrace doing it in the same way he does. I want to offer a couple of ways for us to disarm and defuse when a fight rises. How is it we disarm and defuse. When I say disarm, I mean take the stinger out of the situation. Take the stinger out and still engage in loving conflict. Do that. And then secondly, turn down the heat. How do we do that? Let me offer you these. One of the ways I do that is I own my part. You remember back when we were looking at the heart? Over here in the upper left, that was me. This is me. I have to own my part of what's going on here? How do I recognize my contribution or my perspective? Where I'm at in the midst of this conflict, I have to own my part. That's me. I have to understand the other person, and that's you. If I want to deal with this as the heart of the matter, I've got to understand you, and then I have to understand the issue. What's really going on here? How do we get to the issue? These three things are kind of the first things. If I put them in order, these are the things I want to give myself practice in before I'm in the midst of a conflict or a fight. And then if I'm in the midst of it, here are some instructions. How do we disarm and diffuse? One is we don't power up. Even when we're in positions of authority and we have that opportunity, we don't exercise it, we don't power up. If I do, it's me against you. It's me defeating you. And we're going to end up in a pretty stuck, rough place that way. Here, draw near and use a softer voice. Physically draw near. 
and soften your voice. It's a way to disarm and diffuse what's going on. And lastly, make space and ask God for wisdom. One of the things that happens when we end up in a fight with one another is we get flooded. And suddenly we're outside the river, the flow of our normal feelings and emotions. We're on the banks. And I don't know if any of you this summer have gone swimming. But if you have, my guess is you didn't do it on dry land. It just doesn't work, right? We're not made to swim on dry land. We're made to swim in water. But sometimes we end up out of our river, out of our flow of emotional and mental well-being, and we're fighting like we're trying to swim on dry land. We've got to make space, and we've got to back off and diffuse what's happening so that we can, in fact, have an engagement that can lead us to goodness. Let me mention what it looks like to not love genuinely, just to capture that side of it. Not loving genuinely looks like this. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. That's not loving genuinely. If I'm engaged in such a way that I've drawn others into it and I'm stirring it up with my perspective or my narrative or my gossip about it, it separates close friends. In Proverbs 26, he says this, As charcoal is to embers and as wood is to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels they go down to the innermost parts of who we are. These are some ways not to fight. This is not fair fighting. This is not loving genuinely. I wanted to offer it just so that we could be mindful of it as we step into this last instruction, if you will, about fighting fair. In this instruction, the challenge of the scriptures is that we adopt a posture of curiosity, not combat that we adopt a posture of curiosity. What's going on? What's going on with me? What's going on with you? What's going on with this issue? What's going on with God? I adopt a posture of curiosity versus combat. We recognize that a fight is not really about winning. It's about growing someone or something stronger. And that's the result of learning how to practice love and conflict coexisting. So this isn't avoiding conflict, this is pursuing curiosity and recognizing that if I don't pursue curiosity, the invitation to combat is irresistible. It's just there, it's in my face, it looks like that's the way to go. Here's some instruction we're offered out of Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle toward everyone. Easy to read, hard to do. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, those who have said yes to who God is and to a relationship with Him, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is good wisdom. I can actually practice a posture of curiosity 
of wondering what's going on in me, in you, around the issue with God and not embrace this invitation to combat. We're invited to be active, fair fighters. Step into it. Be meaningfully a part of it. And trust God to lead you through it. So his instructions for us today, listen first and listen most. Love genuinely. Disarm and diffuse. Adopt a posture of curiosity versus combat so you can lean into the best of. That's what that sets us up for. In 2009, uh, Mike Tyson is on Oprah Winfrey, the cultural therapist of that time in our history. And they're having a conversation about this fight back in 97, and she's probing and wondering what's going on. And in the midst of that, she asks a question about the ear-biting. The fight actually became known as the bite fight. Bummer. In asking Tyson his perspective on this, he says this. I want to say to Evander Holyfield, it's been a pleasure passing through life being acquainted with you. What was not yet understood at the time is that Holyfield and Tyson had resolved their fight and had actually become friends. Holyfield once again takes the opportunity to communicate his acceptance of that and his forgiveness to Tyson. Now if you go back in time 12 years before this, following the fight in an interview with Holyfield, he expressed his forgiveness to Tyson then. Before Mike Tyson owned what he had done, ask forgiveness, or that there was any notion of friendship in the future. Holyfield forgave him, expressed that publicly. I don't know the purity of it, but I want to offer it as a picture of Holyfield leaning into the best of, maintaining a posture of curiosity rather than combat, Choosing to himself forgive, and in so doing, creating space for Tyson to decide differently. I'd say that was pretty good fighting. I know he's wearing the world championship heavyweight belt, but I think in this case, there was another championship being lived out in the way this fight was going down. So from the bite fight to forgiving friends. Fighting fair means fighting for what matters most. It means growing wholeness, strengthened relationships, wise living. So the challenge of this series is let's live life as instructed. Let's embrace what God's given us and put it into practice by the power of His Spirit. And in light of today's focus, Learn to fight fair by living in God's wisdom. Join me as we finish in prayer today. Jesus, you of all people who took the full punishment every one of us has earned. You took it upon yourself and in so doing, you freely have offered yourself to us. 
As the worship song said today, you've made it possible for us to be washed clean. It's remarkable. It's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray by your spirit you would help us become exceptional listeners, genuine lovers, people who can defuse and, and disarm, people who can embrace a curiosity toward what's best in a situation rather than combat for no other reason than you are powerfully at work in us, giving us life and light instead of darkness. We want to embrace that. We want to thank you for that. We want to ask you to keep bringing us your perspective, your wisdom, your instruction, and then giving us the power to choose it, to say yes to it. We're asking you to do that, Jesus, because we really need that. Thanks for fighting for us, Jesus. Help us fight well with and for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Heartland. Your commitment this week is no ear biting. All right? Have a great week.